Pastor Chris's podcast. A long time ago, in a land far away, the Egyptians feel threatened by the growing numbers of Hebrews in their land. The Egyptians have forgotten how the Hebrew Joseph saved Egypt from starvation. They have forgotten the contributions of the Hebrew people to the greatness of Egypt. Most of all, the Egyptians have forgotten the one true God the Hebrews worship. Attempting to weaken the Hebrews, the Egyptians treat the Hebrews cruelly, forcing them to serve as slaves. But God continues to bless the Hebrews, and they thrive and multiply. Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptian empire, hatches a dark and evil plan. Every male child born to a Hebrew family is to be drowned in the Nile River. Now we hear the tale of how one Hebrew family copes when things fall apart. Exodus 2, 1 through 10. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter came out to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter. Who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. I can't imagine, um, I can't even imagine the devastation for those Hebrew mothers who who are dealing with this you know think about to be praying as a as a a mother to and to have a child growing in your belly and to be thinking for nine months about that child is coming and i imagine that they must have been praying these hebrew women must have been praying please lord let it be a girl 
Because if you remember in Exodus 1, verse 22, Pharaoh had said that they had to throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. They could let the girls live. So these mothers must have been praying, let it be a girl. And fear, fearing for nine months as they grow attached and grow so intimately close to this child within them that uh, they may have to do that. And then for those mothers who gave birth to a boy, can you imagine? I can't even imagine a woman willingly doing that. And yet there are some countries in the world today where because of um, policies or uh, because of cultural, cultural ideals, um, they can only have one child and, and a, a mother has a child born to them and it is not, either it is not of the gender that they wanted or it is not, um, maybe it has some kind of disability and that's the only child they could have. And they may be faced with a decision to either put that child up for abortion, I mean, put that child up for adoption. I can't imagine. And I'm not judging because I'm not in that person's shoes. But to be in that situation, or, or in America, to be a, a young person who, who becomes pregnant, and to be in a situation where, for whatever reason, you're not ready, you didn't plan it, you don't have the, the resources to, to take care of the child like you want or you feel that you need, and to be faced with a decision to either put a child up for adoption or, or heaven forbid, to have an abortion. And again, I'm not to, to judge. I don't know that person and their situation. I can't imagine having to make that decision, but it happens. And I don't know why the statistics are, are so hard to find. I looked this up, and the best that I could find is from 2017. They didn't have statistics that I could find for 2018 or 2019. But in 2017, there were 862,320 abortions in America. So many people, for one reason or another, have had to make that decision. And I can't even imagine. And what that does to a person that goes through it. But can you imagine these Hebrew mothers trying to decide what to do with their baby that is a boy. Can you imagine them, because you know that they tried to hide them. You know that so many tried to hide them, but how do you hide a baby? <laughs> they cry about everything. They cry when they're hungry and when they're dirty and when they're sleepy and when they're not sleepy and just about all the time they're crying and you can't tell them to be quiet and expect them to listen. And of course, there were thousands of Hebrews living in Egypt. And so it could be that, you know, even though there were soldiers and I, maybe there were secret police or whatever that would go through the villages to, to track down these baby boys, you could get by for a time hiding your child. Moses' mother got by for three months before she had to do something. But I thought about that, you know, how did the Egyptians find out? Could it be that there were other Hebrews that they hired as informants? Neighbors, family members that would report that you had had a baby child to the Egyptian authorities, maybe for 
a bounty or for favors from the Egyptian authorities. Can you imagine living in that society where that was what you had to deal with? And you had to obey the order. Can you imagine Egyptian soldiers or secret police showing up on your doorsteps to enforce Pharaoh's edict to throw your baby boy into the river? And they had to have severe punishments if you had disobeyed the order. It wasn't just that they took your child and threw it in the river. Probably they would do that now and also perhaps torture you or your family or kill your other children. There had to be something strict in order to actually get mothers to feel that all, the best that they could do was what Moses' mother did to build a basket and to cover it in tar, and to place it on the river. This story's been told thousands and thousands of times, and we've seen movies even about it. It's hard to separate faction, fact from fiction nowadays. But if you look at just what, just what the scripture says, it says that she put the baby in a basket and laid it among the reeds along the riverbank of the Nile River. The baby's sister stood at a distance watching to see what had happened to him. Exodus 2, 3, and 4. Now, whenever I had pictured this or whenever I'd heard the story told, I had you know, thought, well, the mother would get the baby back out of the river or the, the daughter, the, the, the sister would help take care of it. But that's not what the scripture says. It just simply says she put the baby in a basket and put it on the river and that Moses' sister stood at a distance see what would happen. Now, it doesn't say this, but I wonder if other Hebrew women hadn't done this. I mean, what would you do if the police showed up on your doorstep and said, we're going to torture your entire family unless you throw this baby in the river? Perhaps they would take the baby, put it in a basket, decorate it with flowers, and with weeping and wailing as the soldiers looked on, they would take the baby and place it in the river because it was better to do that than to drown the baby. I don't know. It doesn't say. But I could see that. I could imagine a whole ceremony that they might have. Not because they wanted to, but because they were forced to. Technically, though, Moses' mother did what Pharaoh demanded. She put her baby in the river. And the scripture tells us that Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby. And she immediately knows what's happened. She knows that this is one of the Hebrew babies. And they open the basket and the baby is crying. And you know, God has put something in the human heart, the way he's designed us. We hear a baby cry and it, it does something to us. It sparks a, a, a protective, compassionate instinct that we must care for this child. And when Pharaoh's daughter heard the baby cry, she had compassion. This must be one of the Hebrew children. And her father has been the one who told these women they had to throw their babies in the river. Not all Egyptians are created equal. I'm sure that 
Many of them, probably most of them, didn't agree with what Pharaoh had instructed these Hebrew women to have to do. I mean, Pharaoh was cold-hearted and evil and narcissistic, and um, there are people like that in society. But most people care for others, and most people see a child and they think, protect the child, don't throw it in the river. And that's certainly what Pharaoh's daughter thought. And many of the Egyptians that lived among those Hebrew people probably thought, this is terrible. But what can you do? Pharaoh is like a god. He's an absolute monarch. You must do what he says. We tend to lump all people together into one group. We look at the Egyptians and think, oh, those Egyptians were terrible. We look today and we think, we think of people in terms of groups. There are black people, there are white people, there are Hispanics, there are foreigners, or there are Americans, there are police officers. We even talk about people like politicians. We lump them all together in one group. That's how we see people. But God sees people as individuals. He knows that just because you are a part of one social group doesn't mean you're all the same. Every individual person is an individual person with their own ideas, their own compassion or lack of compassion. But the Hebrews were living in a a dark and evil time in Egypt. But God was at work to rescue them. And we will find that water plays a key role in the full story of how God rescues his people. Today we see Moses being rescued by the water of the Nile River. He was lovingly placed in the river in a basket by his mother. And then Pharaoh's daughter rescues him and he starts a new life in Pharaoh's court. He's rescued from being a slave with who is condemned to death because he is a Hebrew boy. He is rescued for freedom and royalty in the court of the Pharaoh who sentenced him to death. Later in the book of Exodus, it tells the the story of how the Hebrew slaves escaped from the Egyptian army when Moses parts the Red Sea and the Hebrews walk across it on dry ground to start a new life on the other side. As a free people. In Egypt they were slaves, but on the other side of the Red Sea, they are free and they are God's chosen people. Did you know that these are both symbols of what God wants to do for you and for me? God wants to rescue us from the hopeless consequences of our sin and give us a new life. Just as Moses' mother had no choice but to put her baby in a basket on the Nile River, we are hopelessly separated from God by our sin. And no matter how badly we want to be free of our sin, no matter how badly we want to be washed clean, no matter how badly we want to be free, 
We cannot achieve this by our own actions. We are slaves to sin. Thankfully, Christ died on the cross to set us free. Jesus is our Moses who delivers us from slavery to sin. And what is it that marks our deliverance? What ceremony do we celebrate as Christians to mark the beginning of a person's life following Christ? We celebrate baptism, which uses water. Baptism marks the beginning of a Christian's new life as they follow Jesus as Lord. We use water to symbolize being cleansed from the stain of sin as when we, submer- as when we take a baby and wash their head by sprinkling it with water. Baptism, in baptism, we use water to symbolize a person dying with Christ and being raised to new life as when we submerge a person underwater in baptism and lift them back up to start a new life as a born-again believer. Baptism is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace work that God does for us, both cleansing us of our sin and recreating us as a new holy person. Here's what the Word of God, the Holy Bible, says about people who repent of their sin and choose to follow Jesus as their Lord. In the letter, in the first letter of Peter, the second chapter, verse 9 and 10, it says, You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy. Now you have received God's mercy. I want you all to know something today. No matter what you did in the past no matter how horrible you you feel your sin was, God can forgive you. And God can give you a fresh start. You may feel like your sin was so bad that it is unforgivable. But it isn't. God can and will forgive you because of what Christ has done on the cross. Through the blood of Christ, God washes away Every sin. Your sin. If you ask God to forgive you, He will. And you can make a fresh start. You can be a brand new person. And what's more, He will fill you with His Holy Spirit to help you live a new way as His adopted son or daughter. God puts it this way in the message paraphrase of Ezekiel 11, verse 19. He says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. 
I'll cut out your stone heart and I'll replace it with a red-blooded, firm-muscled heart. Then you'll obey my statutes and be careful to obey my commands. You'll be my people and I'll be your God. Is that what you want today? Is that what you want? You can have it. Turn to God. Pray. Receive his grace. And then when you do that, I would love to baptize you right here as a symbol of what God has done for you, how he has washed you clean, how he has delivered you to freedom, and how he has made you a brand new person. Baptism is a sacrament that celebrates the beginning of the Christian walk of faith. Holy Communion is the sacrament where we remember what Jesus did to save us as Christ nourishes us to follow him day by day. Today we have the privilege of celebrating the sacrament of Holy Communion. Now, because of the pandemic in which we find ourselves, we're doing this in a special way that's safer and more sanitary. We're using prepackaged sealed containers that have the bread and the juice in them. So there's no danger of contamination. Um, Each person will receive their own individually packed communion. When you do that, you will notice the very, there's two things you need to open, okay? In the very top of the cup is a very thin plastic uh, cellophane um, piece that you will open. And inside that is a piece of bread. It's It's on the very top of the cup. So you open that first, and then next you will open another tab, which will open the cup that contains the grape juice inside. So I wanted you to know that because it's very easy to accidentally open both, and you get to the juice and wonder where's the bread. It's in the, it's in the part that you tore off, okay? So you open the plastic first, and then the, uh, the second piece to get it. Um, in our church... We recognize that this is not our table. This is not our meal. We believe that this is Jesus' meal. And he invites everyone to come and to enjoy it. Everyone who sincerely wishes to receive the blessing he wants to give you today as you make a choice to turn away from your former sins and receive his forgiveness um, and come. So you are all welcome to come. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, or if you're a member of this church or not. You're welcome to come if you receive the invitation to repent of your sins and to come receive the gift that Christ wants to give you today. So you are welcome to come. We celebrate this sacrament because Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, shared a last meal with his disciples. And as we celebrate this meal together today, we recall that meal that he had with his disciples and what he did at the meal and also by dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. At that meal, Jesus took a piece of bread. And this meal was a was a meal that they were used to sharing as Jewish believers because it recalled this very 
story that we are reading from, the Exodus, when God saved the Hebrew people and delivered them to freedom. God told them, I want you to always, every year, share a meal called the Passover celebration in order to recall how I have saved you. And so as Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, sat down with his Jewish disciples to celebrate the Passover meal that recalled that deliverance, they knew it. They had done it every year, just like we celebrate Christmas every year. But he did something a little bit different as he took the bread and they said, oh, he's taking the bread. But then he broke it and he asked God to bless it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, I want you to take this bread. I want you to eat it because this is my body that I'm giving for you. And then he took the cup. For them, it was a cup of wine. And he raised it to heaven and they asked the Lord to bless it. And they all probably thought in their heads, oh, he's raising the cup for the blessing for the Passover meal. But then he gave it to his disciples and he said, I want you to all drink this cup. Because this is my blood. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you drink it, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And so that's what we are doing today. We are remembering him. And how he not only was talking about the deliverance of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt, he was talking about us and our deliverance from slavery to sin to freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. As we partake of this bread and this wine, let them be for us the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit on them and on us that it may be so. So that we can be, as we trust in Christ, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. For it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.